So this is today. Today is yesterday and tomorrow is also today. You traveled through time to the present. Yes. Yeah, I don't think you get how time travel works. It's like we're stuck. You know, like a, like a needle on a scratch record. I wake up every day right here, right in Punxsutawney, and it's always February 2nd. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. It's a thing where the same day keeps happening. Time. in a damn time loop or something? Ah! Well, it's Groundhog Day, again. And that must mean that I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with Professor Sarah Black, my co-host from Five Minute Arrival, to talk about Groundhog Day. Again. Still. Forever. <laughs> always, yeah. For me, always. Yeah. <laughs> and so by proxy, me too. <laughs> Minute 19, we are getting the loop starting. First resumption. Here we are in the shower. We get the very tail end of that bit with Phil's, the water being too cold and Phil jumping out of the shower. And then we cut to the hallway where he speaks to Mrs. Lancaster, who is carrying, I believe she's carrying a single folded towel. Yeah. So is the start of the loop with this ice water bath? Is any time I see... No, the, the loop would be sometime while he's sleeping. But it's the alarm clock is basically. Well, yeah, of course, that's when he starts because he's definitely literally shocked by the. He also got hit in the head by a shovel today. He's he's had some problems. Just every time I see water, especially someone being submerged in it, Mm. it just brings about like baptism imagery for me. Being in unfamiliar territory where he's forced to learn. Oh, yeah. I mean, the baby screaming out of the room. He got hit by a shovel while he was on a phone trying to get out of this place. Now he didn't understand that they wouldn't have warm water and mm-hmm. he's taking the shower and gets frozen out. He's being told this isn't the place where you're going to be comfortable. Right. But there's also a good reason for that because he needs to be in a place where he isn't comfortable. Yeah. That's what I actually wrote. Uncomfortable in surroundings. <laughs> Just like all three of these minute 19s being unsettled. Mm-hmm. Also, the shower is comically small. So he's very large in this very small yeah, shower. Yeah, it's a little bathtub with the curtain around <laughs> it. It's a small space. And then also when he gets out of it, the uneven, like the towel around his neck is uneven. It's like hanging down long <laughs> on one side and short on the other. The whole thing is just setting up this mood of, like, being unsettled. Like, not fitting into well, this right. space. Even, yeah. <laughs> even, I mean, out in the hallway, says, yo, mama, isn't there any hot water? And her response is negative, but it's so cheerful. She's like, no, no, no there wouldn't yeah. be today. <laughs> like, like, you should know that. Exactly. But also, I'm very nice because I run this place where people are visiting. We all know what's going on in this like, space. But no. as you're a newly baptized baby, you don't. So welcome. Right. <laughs> And he responds, of course not, silly me. And she wishes him sweet dreams, and he goes on his way. And that's when we cut to day two. The first resumption of Groundhog Day. We're in the bedroom on the alarm clock, 5.59. I don't think, well, I mean, that could also be an angel number, a numerology thing, but also it's just how they did it for this. Well, yeah, I mean, six o'clock is sunrise. In astrology, people who link the 12 astrological signs to two hours each of the day, 6 a.m. is Aries, or the first sign of the zodiac. So it's like rebirth, reincarnation. Did they get that from Groundhog Day? I don't think astrology got that from Groundhog Day. I think astrology predates Groundhog Day. All these astrologers watch Groundhog Day. Good to know. And we get... I got you babies playing and the radio DJs. You, if you have comments on the DJ banter or the song. I should have, and I didn't. Okay, I we've already like talked about the, the song The song is bit. just so, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> it's almost background to me. Like, I don't even think about the song anymore, but. Are you looking it up? No, I'm not <laughs> looking up the song. I don't really like that song. To me, it just, I don't know whether it was chosen just because it's annoying and we're supposed to feel like Oh, it, it was chosen specifically for a part we never hear in the movie. Okay. The end of the song ends with this like big, uh, this slow, I got, or 
No, it ends big with I Got You, Babe. And you think the song's over, and then there's this slow, I got you. And that was like Danny Rubin specifically comments on that in his book about writing Groundhog Day. And how he picked it for this annoying ending that seems to go too far. And in the movie, they just use the earlier part of the song. Because you want to get the nice, happy-sounding thing that's going to clearly annoy Phil because he's a cynical bastard. Now, I was looking up the meaning of the number 600. Because (laughs) that's my thing because of the clocks in all of the episodes. Angel number 600 indicates that you will find success through your daily routine and the changes that you need to make in your life. In other words, you are on a journey that will eventually take you to your destination, and you have to make decisions on who you want to become. Yeah, they did see Groundhog Day. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. No, I think Groundhog Day (laughs) saw astrology and numerology. There's also a little bit about family in here as well. It's about finding and developing your own family so that you can create something in the future. Hmm. Which would fit with him getting to know the people of the town. Exactly. Though the last line of the script is a joke, the idea fits that he's saying, let's live here. Oh, and then the last thing fits well too. It's also about being responsible for the deeds. The things that you put out into the world. Nice. So being honest about yourself and your actions. And also family is a continuous cycle. What does that mean? Like basically you, again, just like bar three deaths. So you are building a family and it like continuation of that family through nurturing the family. And the biblical meaning is that... You let go and let God help you become the person that you desire to become. One of the things I haven't talked about since minute one of this show with talking to Danny Rubin is that various religious groups have identified this as a Jewish film or a Christian Mm -hmm. film or a Buddhist film. And each one makes a legitimate argument as to why it fits. And that's something I really like about the movie is it fits with all of those. It fits with that numerology. Well, yeah, you can do astrology, numerology. Well, it's meant to be universal, right? right? And so many of these things are going to have commonalities because it's just different ways that people are trying mm-hmm. to find meaning. And <laughs> and ultimately, they all kind of come to the same conclusion. You find meaning in finding, it's a, what's it called? The sand art, Man- mandala, like doing art that won't exist. Like it mm-hmm. is not, it has no permanence to it. So you're doing something to do something. And it's the effect it has on you, the effect it has on other people. It's not about the thing itself being able to survive, or even you being able to survive. And so, yeah, we get a repeat of stuff from, what was it? Well, so I don't know if you mentioned, like, Buddhism and reincarnation as one of those, obviously. Well, I said Buddhist. Oh, okay. Not reincarnation. Because, of course, you would have to live out... Like, there's the belief, I don't know that this is just inherent in Buddhism, but the belief that your soul makes a contract to enter the body in this lifetime and potentially various lifetimes, the earth is a essentially a giant school or a place to learn, and you will keep coming back to that place of learning until you've learned what you needed to learn, at which point you'll be able to right. exit. It also ties into, and I wrote about in the blog a few times, Nietzsche's eternal recurrence. Mm-hmm. Which is similar, except eternal recurrence, when you go down, right down to it, doesn't say you're going to change what you do when you do something a second time. It's like, essentially, you want to do things so that if you had to repeat them, it'd still be okay. It's like uh, about time, where his thing he got to mm-hmm. at the end is he would live each day as if he was repeating it. And so we get, they're letting us know this early in Phil's experience of mm-hmm. the time loop that he does have a very good memory. Which is why I often argue against people who yeah. are like, he's been there for years, he's been there for a thousand, oh, right. all this time. Like, no, yeah. if he was there for a thousand years, him getting out of the loop is a tragedy. Because <laughs> he won't know how to live. Yeah. It would be worse than going in the first place. He doesn't have to be there that long. He's a guy who wants life to be exactly how he wants it to be. He's a white cis male in America. So he wants what he wants, and when something gets in the way, he's going to get frustrated pretty quickly. The loops we see up to when he first commits suicide is, I don't have my day count in front of me at the moment, but it's a minimal. I got to jump in from editing really quick because the number I'm about to say is wrong. These are my calculations. According to Groundhog Day Project Day 3, it's like I said, I love this film. 4th August 2013, it was the 24th day 
that we see on screen that Phil dies the first time. Not what I'm about to say. Amount, it's something like 12 days? I so want to watch this film now through, this would drive you crazy. I so want to watch this film through the lens of astrology and see if he's going through all of the signs from Aries through Pisces along (laughs) his journey because how you just described him is very similar to the archetype of the Aries sign. Probably, (laughs) but also the reason that order of the signs makes sense and is withstood time is because it also is this sort of universal journey of how we process the world around us. And so probably, you could probably fit it to that pretty easily. I fit it to lots of things. Since I've said before in this show, I use this in impromptu speech rounds all the time. Like every round of impromptu, I would bring up Groundhog Day as an example because I could use it to talk about whatever. And you can talk about different religions. You can Mm -hmm. talk about all these different things. You can talk about men and women or small towns and big cities. And it's all in there. So yeah. It's why this movie still holds up after 30 years next year, is that it's fairly universal. All right. Well, I will write that for Mm -hmm. its 30-year anniversary. (laughs) Okay. And so, yeah, Phil gets up as they're saying, don't forget your booties because it's cold out there today. Mm. He crosses the room. He's definitely looking around. And this is where the camera work is not as good as the scripting Wow. He said, don't forget your booties, not don't forget your boots. Okay. I'm going to harp on this Aries baby baptism thing. I didn't even realize that. Like, who wears booties? Babies, not 50-year-olds. That's not what they call them in Pennsylvania? No. <laughs> I've never heard that. Yeah, booties are little baby things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what I was even saying. <laughs> Good one. Yeah. Oh, he gets up and he's- And then li- put your little hand in my- See, this is all baby imagery. I've got you, babe. Holy shit. This is well, all yeah. baby image. It's it's also dependent. If you don't hear <laughs> I Got You, Babe, mm-hmm. specifically in context of the song, it's supposed to be romantic. Right. But it's also could be like horrific. It's, he's been captured by this thing that every morning reminds him, I got you. But also it's kind of comforting. It's like, no, I got you. It's, it's got multiple meanings just with like a simple mm-hmm. lyric of a dumb song they picked. But what we're supposed to see as he walks across the room, though, is he's not just noticing that the radio show is repeating, though he does notice it. And that's important. We need to know he has a good memory. Also, he is seeing that the room doesn't look right. If you stay Mm -hmm. somewhere overnight, you know where you set your suit. You know where you set your bag. He probably put a bunch of stuff already in the bag last night because he knew he was leaving bright and early. And then he gets up and that stuff's not where it was. It's back to how Mm -hmm. he left it the previous night, knowing he'd need it in the morning. But we don't get a shot of the floor. We don't get a shot of where the stuff is. So we don't see what he's looking at. He knows something's wrong before... He notices the radio before he goes and looks out the window and says, what the hell, which I think is next. Instead, we get him going into the little bathroom nook, which doesn't seem to be a whole bathroom, but that's a different issue. It's just a sink. Oh, yeah. In a little closet. I mean, sometimes the sinks are outside of the actual toilet area. Or it's well, there's possible- no toilet in this room. There's no- yeah, that's what I was going to say, that it's like we shared. S- the well, wall yeah, to, the to the right, we see the other side of it later. <clears throat> His room has the little bedroom. The little tiny spot with the sink, and then a bigger room with a couch and a fireplace. We see the other side of it. There's no room for a toilet. We know the shower is elsewhere. One thing I noticed I thought was a little bit interesting is when he goes over to like the sink and mirror mm-hmm. area. I feel like when most people go to a mirror area, they look into it. Yeah, he doesn't. And he actively av- like almost looks like he avoids looking mm-hmm. into the mirror. <laughs> yeah, he turns on the light. The three lamps come on. And then he throws water in his face. Didn't he just take a shower? Why does he need more water in his face? No, there's water in his face, I think, is a... I don't know that people actually do this, but it's uh-huh. definitely a movie thing where in the morning people will throw water, just throw, yeah. water in their face. <laughs> He's going to get coffee down. I mean, didn't the cold shower wake him up? Well, that was last night. That was before he slept. Oh, right. Shower, sleep, six Shower, Got sleep. Got it, right. Okay. <laughs> and so he actually... Wow. What? I just realized something hilarious that Hmm. never came up in all the times I've watched this movie and written about it, talked about it. His line, Mm -hmm. which was not in the script, that he was going to go back to the bed and breakfast. Mm -hmm. This was last minute. He says, I think I'm going to go back to my room and take a hot shower and maybe read Hustler or something. Which is funny because before he even says Hustler, Rita is already bothered by him saying this, that he's just blowing her off, whatever. She's already getting up. But Hustler is the offensive part. 
And then she leaves. But then he goes back to the hotel and takes a cold shower. Do people even read Hustler? No. I know you read Playboy sometimes. You read Playboy. They have some good articles. Yeah. Their interviews are famously (laughs) good. But no. So essentially, he wanted to go back and read, air quotes, Hustler, Mm -hmm. but instead had to take a cold shower. So even then, he was kept from getting what he wanted just on his own time, which is hilarious. The universe is not letting him be. And we end the minute when they're talking about the blizzard thing. You know, you can expect hazardous travel mm-hmm. later today with that, you know, that blizzard thing. The other DJ says, that blizzard thing? Oh, well, here's the report. The National Weather Service is calling for a big, and we get cut off as they're saying, big blizzard thing. A report about the blizzard that he said wasn't going to hit town. To be fair, I don't think it, the movie establishes that it hit Pittsburgh. So he wasn't entirely wrong. One thing that is different in Ex Machina and Groundhog Day and them both kind of being awakened to their strange surroundings and their discomfort within is the difference in the settings. Because Ex Machina, it's so minimal and sparse. And Groundhog Day, it's like he's so out of place, but everything is so just like kitschy, obviously. Well, so bed and breakfast. Well, that's, like the comforter, but that's for the us bed, watching it. I yeah. think for Phil, the experience <laughs> of Punxsutawney is the same as Caleb yeah. being in that small space. Mm-hmm. That's why they picked something with the town square. They wanted it to be enclosed and small. And when you get crowded full of right. people, you can't move around. And it's just an onslaught of all these people that are bothering him, that they're out there having fun. Even that little like dog lamp on the windows. So mm. it was so weird. I was oh, like, there are dogs all over this movie. That? It's okay. a Scotty. Oh. <laughs> no. There's also a dog lamp on the dresser and something that looks like a seal in a painting. I've, huh. I've, so what's yeah. the meaning of that? Oh, there are dogs all over this movie. And <laughs> I think it was just that the set decorator specifically had a thing for dogs. Oh. <laughs> I tried to read more into it, but can never come up with a good thing. There's the really dumb childish thing. It, like yeah. dog is God backward right. and all that. Oh, and it's like nah. God watching over. But yeah. I don't think this film is saying God yeah. is doing this to him. It's, it's not literal. And that's the point. There's not supposed to be an explanation. It's that he has to do this to himself. Yeah. He has to realize that his, his reality is not good. And he has to fix it. Most of life is just junk, right? It's, it's filler. Mm. And then there's these moments when all the randomness turns into something perfect. It's like life's dropping all the bullshit just for a second to show us how amazing it could be all the time. If it wanted to. Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe we're supposed to become like better people. Though I honestly don't even know how that could be possible. Maybe think about it. We must miss so many of them. All those tiny perfect things are just poof, gone. Lost forever. But not today. That is a disturbingly inspirational idea, Mark. It's a perfect day. You couldn't plan a day like this. Well, you can. It just takes an awful lot of work. Time. 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 The last revision is what counts, apparently. Time. What if we found them all? All the perfect things in this one town, in this one day, we could collect them. The movie is after Yang. I don't think you enjoyed the movie as much as I did, but I like specifically that it fits with all three of these shows for me. It's about an AI. Yeah. They look at recorded memories from that AI, and those memories become time loops because they keep replaying them because they're only three seconds long. And we get also time loops in the editing because we get different takes of the same lines of dialogue from different angles that kind of universalizes each of the interactions they have in the conversations. So I liked After Yang in many of its elements. It's something about how it came together in a very, like, Again, disconcerting, which could be on purpose, but kind of way where it felt like it was doing so many different things. And then parts of it were like so beautiful, like it was really beautifully shot and like a bunch of different ideas were raised, which I always like in film. But I don't know, it almost felt like discordant, like it was too many different. Well, I think (laughs) that comes from a couple of things. One, I I read the story. The story is actually very short. Mm Mm-hmm. The original story is called Saying Goodbye to Yang by Alexander Weinstein in his book, Children of the New World. And the story is really short and has none of the recorded memories, none of the previous lives, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Spoilers. Oops. Nah, fuck it. 
I spoil yeah. everything. Whatever. Spoiler there will be alert. spoilers. <laughs> There's none of that. It's just their android doesn't work anymore, and they have to realize that they care that he's gone. And even that's kind of nice for a short little story, but it's very slight. It is this tiny yeah. little story. And they added so much for the movie. And then the other thing, which comes to some of the editing and the way they piece it together, is I'm pretty sure this is a sort of COVID movie. It came from mm. lockdown. Okay. Where like each time they show them driving in their car, mm -hmm. it's clearly not a real tunnel, I don't think, oh. that they're driving through. And it's kind of like put together in post. It has, what, four locations mm -hmm. and counting extras. It's like eight yeah. people in the whole movie. So it's a very small production trying to tell not a very big story, but a story that has a big meaning to it potentially. And that story for listeners is their android has stopped working. They have this family android they bought to help raise their adopted Chinese daughter. Essentially, the movie doesn't explain this, which is something I also love about this movie. It doesn't tell us in the future people can't have babies. You know, it doesn't bother. Not like children and men, I think, did that. At yeah. The I didn't even think that. Oh, was no. that the point it was trying to make? That people can't have No, babies? but the future that they are in is clearly a future, even the story doesn't explain this, mm -hmm. where people have trouble having children. So they clone right. others. Their next door neighbor is raising. The movie is kind of weird in a way because mm -hmm. it seems like his teenage daughter is a clone of his dead wife, I think was the implication. And he also has two twin girls that are also mm -hmm. clones of that same person. So his family is just three clones yeah. of the same person and him. <laughs> and our main character, played by Colin Farrell, doesn't like clones. <laughs> <laughs> they adopted a Chinese little girl. And then because they thought they might have trouble raising her, both because they both work, he and his wife. Also, they want her to be connected to her culture. Yeah, and that part, I mean, which is I could go issue. into like a yeah. long time the idea of like transracial adoption and how people handle. I don't even know that I uh, want to right now, but read up get, on that, people. Right, but we do get a little more of that in the story. And that at some point there was a war that China is essentially the only country that's still sort of successful, mm -hmm. I guess, because they had the population, and so they're also the ones that are still having kids. So they adopted a real child, and then they bought this, what they think is secondhand android. Turns out he's actually had two previous lives as an android to help raise their kid. And then he breaks down at the beginning of the movie, and in trying to get him fixed, they find out that he's an old model that had this memory chip in him where he could save three-second clips and keep them for as long as he wanted. Because the androids are not supposed to keep recordings of anything because of privacy laws. We already talked about privacy mm -hmm. last time. And then they proceed to watch some of these clips and find out that he had a life outside of their home that they didn't even know he had. That he had a relationship with the woman who worked at a coffee shop. And they have to figure out who this person is. And then they find clips from his previous jobs or lives. I won't get into spoilers as to who she is, because you can figure that out for yourself if you want to watch the movie. But then their clips are these three-second little moments that some of them don't necessarily have any meaning. It's just like a shot of light on a branch in a tree. Or... One I really liked, because I imagined talking about it in a podcast like this, like doing a minute by minute of just after Yang. It's a chair, a hallway by some stairs. It's like, what does that chair mean? Why did he value that chair? Like, is that where he sat when he took care of the girl when she was a little baby? And if so, why isn't that the memory he kept? And it's because later he decided he wanted to remember it. And also the parents are coming to realize that they cared more about him than they thought they did. They kind of treated him more like he was just, you know, an appliance. But also, they didn't. They had actual conversations with him about tea, because the father works in a tea shop, and they talk about a documentary about tea. And I don't know. Some of this bugs me. <laughs> That's fine. So it seems like, okay, <laughs> I'm just going to rant. Go for it. So they adopt a baby from China. <laughs> yes. So it's transracial adoption. And instead of really doing any of the work with each other, because as a married couple, their communication is terrible. Yes. And so they get Yang. So first they purchase a baby, and then they purchase an AI to help deal with Mika's trauma rather than have any conversation or work on dealing with that together as a family. And then mm -hmm. getting him ends up causing her even more trauma. I'm not going to say he didn't do good things for her because obviously he did. Yeah. And so was all of this purchasing of human relationships, I mean, is that, is it worth it? And then it almost <laughs> had the whole like magical Negro trope where he sits there and is like just teaching him about tea and mm -hmm. about, ch I don't know. So I mean, the film was trying to do things, but parts of it were just like so, and I don't know. Well, I think so annoying. <laughs> that is all, yes. 
Those are problematic things, but I think the movie is doing them on purpose. Because it's dealing with it. It's a story of, I mean... If we do problematic, we've had this conversation yeah, yes. Ultimately, the movie gets to the point where it can get away with that kind of stuff because by the end of the movie, the couple are getting along better than they were at the beginning of the movie. They've come to realize that they cared about Yang as a son, which is what they always called him, even though they didn't think of him that way. And they are maybe in a better position to take care of their daughter, although that's debatable. Right? At the end of the movie, I'm not sure they've gotten to that point. I think the movie actually ends slightly earlier than other filmmakers might have done with a story. I believe it's written and directed by the same person. That kind of goes to my point. Are they... Yeah, Kokonata wrote and directed. Did they learn to love Yang or whatever? Or did they learn to just love what he was providing to and for them so that they didn't actually have to do that work for themselves? I don't know. They seem both like selfish people to me who are terrible (laughs) communicating See, that's the thing. You could write... You could take... That's why I like this movie, though. It's because you could take several angles and criticize all of these different things, and you could take several angles Mm -hmm. and hold them up as like, good, these are people that made bad choices before and now are realizing that thing we bought was a person. But the thing is, it's, it's like Green Book vibes. How do we get to that learning? Like, who are we using? Who are we commodifying? Like, to get to that space of Well, I think that's why for the movie, they cast a black woman as the wife. Right. In the story, they're both specifically white. Right. It is specifically said that they are white That's and they pandering. adopted a Chinese baby. Yes. <laughs> it's also there. I think they're trying to avoid a little bit of that complaint so they can get to this sort of humanist AI story. So basically, they kept doing the same thing. Yes. So now they t- you, you just explained how it's even worse. That's- <laughs> that's my point. Is It's bad things and it's good things are very closely entwined. And it's good things worked for me because I think the play of it wasn't the parents story that worked for me Mm -hmm. as much as it was yang's story that worked for me because his story is only told through these little three second other than a few conversations we see flashbacks of it's three second clips Mm -hmm. and so it's just what did he value about this interaction with his girlfriend when they were at a concert what did he Mm -hmm. value about this conversation he had where it can only be one line of dialogue And how do you decide what is valuable in life to bother remembering? And then it comes down to a sort of metaphor for our modern technology is Yang is essentially the kind of thing we're going to have in the future anyway. We've talked about this on Mm -hmm. Minishek's Machina is that why are we building AI? Nathan's logic is it's going to happen, so I'm going to be the one who does it. He doesn't think any more complex than that. There's no moral judgment. So then Nathan, it's not Nathan, Caleb is AI because we're all AI. Yeah. Well, that's my, that's been my argument. Is it doesn't matter if he's it's AI, which is why I think it's interesting. It's just the blending of which be. again, two thousand fourteen, the smartphones. That was like a huge leap forward yeah. in becoming AI. And that's what this is, is: we brought in this technology to take care of our kids, whether it's TV for them to watch right. because they're going to be home alone, whether it's giving them a smartphone or a tablet to mm-hmm. take care of them, and in lockdown, educate them. Yeah. That's Yang's job. Is he's not just helping to right. raise her like a nanny. He is educating her. He is programmed with fun facts about China mm-hmm. and the ability to teach her from K through 12. And also emotional learning, because when she's upset about the adoption, which her parents clearly have not talked to her about at all, that she's even asking Yang these questions, yeah. which is, again, why, anyway. <laughs> yeah, because they have a conversation um, about whether, explaining whether they're her, her real parents, because exactly. she's been bullied by people saying they're not her real <clears throat> parents. And she knows they're not. Right. But so it's bad old that enough parents to know aren't to having conversations yes. with their kids and just purchasing machines to do that shit for them. I'm yes. not saying if you are a parent <laughs> who puts your child in front of a TV or whatever that you are a bad person. Like you are definitely not because the demands on adults and just people living in the system that we do is intense. So yeah, please don't read that as a judgment for anyone who is using to. For me, it always comes more down to like, what are the systemic structures that are leading oh, right. individuals to make these choices in the first place? Well, but- that's a big problem I have with this movie and other science fiction stories that start with the premise that we're having trouble having kids. Mm-hmm. Because somehow they always turn that into a conservative fantasy, a right-wing fantasy instead of mm-hmm. a left-wing fantasy, I think. In what is how way? I'm thinking of it. Well, it's like people are, imagine we were actually in a world where people had trouble having kids. Right. Adopting a child from another culture wouldn't be something that you shouldn't do anymore. It wouldn't be stigmatized. It would be accepted. We can't tell that story because at the moment, that is a bad thing. Or it's a bad thing if you do it the wrong way. 
certainly useful to adopt well, children. Well, I mean, isn't that literally happy. what's happening right now with Amy Coney Barrett saying that we need to produce more white babies for Christians who can't have babies to, like, buy them? Yes. <laughs> yes. I think the problem is the the movie is not clear, because it has such a small cast, if this is common. Mm-hmm. Is this a rich couple who have bought their way to having a family? Because they're all we see, we can assume they have money. Right. And so they spend it to get a kid and get an AI to raise her because they wanted a kid and thought they should have a kid but weren't really prepared to take care of it. Or is everyone buying kids and cloning kids and this is everywhere? We don't see the Yeah, I don't really know. If it said that in the the film, I don't know. The movie doesn't (laughs) have any way to show us that. They didn't have extras, they didn't have sets beyond their few Mm -hmm. houses they were using. And so they couldn't tell that story. I think the story implies that, yeah, this is relatively common because the implication, it doesn't say outright, is that people aren't having kids anymore. And so the few kids that are out there, whoever can afford to get them gets them, which is also a problem, (laughs) but it's a realistic problem if that situation arose. It's also not the story this is telling. Right. And so it's, I don't know how you tell this I think it's because I grew up on movies in the 80s. I can get past problematic premises a lot easier than you can. Or it could be that you're a white guy. Well, (laughs) that's what I meant by raised on movies in the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) They favored the white people. So it's like once we're in the situation, it's like all the bad stuff's out of the way. Mm -hmm. Now, these people coming to realize that this person who worked in their house had a life of their own Mm -hmm. is a good thing, you know? Is it something we need to keep making movies about? Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) It's like, ideally, we shouldn't have to make movies about things like The Blind Side or The Help or Green Book, Mm -hmm. After Gang, or various movies where people realize that these other people are human too. Except given the state of politics in this country and things all over the world, clearly there are people who still need that message. Same with Groundhog Day. It's like, you need but to be able to take care mo- of other people and people don't get it. But those movies are not selling that message. Those movies are reinforcing the same power structures while making people feel good that they're actually doing something or are not like, quote unquote, those people. Well, yeah, because you know who the only ones who are going to see most of those movies are the people who already agree with them. Or well, the even people agreeing who will, with them is bad. Like, or the people who see it as, yeah, clearly that's... <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's like Green Green Book or Blindside are big examples because they're easier examples for me because I didn't like them. Is it people who like the Blindside and hold it up as this great movie about mm-hmm. like race relations and all those other things kind of miss the point? You think? <laughs> right. I think, well, no, with Blindside, I don't think they missed the point of the movie. I think yeah. the movie was trying to be a really shallow take well, on yeah. it. Well, yeah. Green Book was trying to be more than that. It just played a little too easily into this fantasy that this is behind us, because it was set in the past. I mean, these films are revealing. I just don't think they're revealing what they want to reveal to the audience. They're basically ultra-rich people, because that's who's able to make big Hollywood films, reinforcing their own ideology by selling the shit. I don't know. People should just go follow my TikTok. I explain things <laughs> When I have more time to formulate these arguments, it's just, I don't think anybody has done anything to really change or revolt against a power structure because they watched fucking Green Book. That's really the bottom line. Oh, no. (laughs) And so all it's doing is making people feel good about being a quote unquote better person because they watched somebody or they watched this film that people, I don't know. It's just like very performative to me. It's like when politicians show up in the hall of the Supreme Court talking about abortion. What else is a movie going to be though? (sighs) Is that why you don't like movies as much? Yeah. That's why I like little tiny. <laughs> because this movie tied into like the three things of these three different movies and these three shows with the AI, the memory, and like the looping, it tied into what I like about movies themselves. It's like I usually argue it isn't about escapism, but it mm-hmm. it is, but it's always temporary, but it's also repeatable. Is you can always if you have a movie that you like and you have or you have something, you can always go back to it. Same with books. Mm-hmm. It's not just movies. But like, if a finite story can be experienced again and again, and you have changed each time you experience it, it changes for you each time you experience it, but there's also some of that core that you liked the first time. I think you just hit on something really interesting about Hmm. me in movies, actually. Yeah. 
I greatly enjoy movies that are philosophical and tend to hate ones that are political, even if they tend to be more political <laughs> in line with my own ideology. Not that any films are really in line with my own ideology. Like, if you know of any that are, maybe we could watch them. But they tend to either just be like actual, like conservative ideology or like performative, liberal, like feel good ideology. But I don't, I can't think of many films that are like actually critiques of the status quo or revolutionary. So I will like a film if it's like Terrence Malick or somebody that will make me think about something, but not so much if it's like actually pushing a political message, not because I'm opposed to political messages, but because. I don't think Hollywood pushes political messages very well. And Which you're right, I, I don't know that they even can. The complaints from Well, I'm not saying they don't push political, political messages. Well, no, there is. It's just... You mean they don't do it's, it right or well. Or well, or for a good purpose, usually, in my opinion. But that's my opinion. <laughs> so, I don't know. Or the ones that probably would aren't the ones that are going to be making tons of money. Of course time. not. Because... Capitalism is going to feed itself. It's not going to feed a revolutionary message. Like, that's not going to get funding. That's why there's parts in the end of After Yang that I really like that we don't know that they're happy. Mm -hmm. They seem to be doing a little better than they were at the beginning of the movie, the parents. The daughter seems like she's going to be okay without Yang. But is she? That well, child's got a lot of trauma, and I don't know if, if they're they can prepared afford it, to- They're going to get another <laughs> secondhand android to help raise her again, because they probably still can't do it. Okay, but and the then movie- what happens when that android breaks down? Then what happens? They're well, not really dealing well, with it. that's why I mean, it, outside of, if I was doing like this as a movies by minutes thing on just mm-hmm. this movie, or if I was doing a blog- We might freaking need to at this point, right? I don't know, because there are so many no, different No, I would go things. into so many negative things and be have so many problems with this movie. Because like, even when he asks- I forget the character's name, but he asked Yang's girlfriend if Yang ever wanted to be human. And she's like, that's a very human thing to s- yeah. assume that he would even want to. But then she says, he did ask if he was Asian or what it's like to be, what it means to be Asian. Because he yeah. was built Asian. He was programmed to be Asian. And so he questioned whether that was real. So but I mean, then she's like, maybe he also was worried that he wasn't giving it to their daughter well enough and he wasn't doing his job well enough. There are too many ideas in this film. It's like, yeah. there are too many things going on and that's why it didn't work. Like, I couldn't really get a foothold or like a feeling or like a thing on any of them because it's just but like, it's structure, boom, this, it's that, kind, that. It's kind of <laughs> close to Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. This is our, also our AI of the week. Ex Machina takes place in a week. It can throw out huge ideas and cover lots of them because it's not trying to cover everything. Mm-hmm. But it wants you to potentially be able to think about everything. And I think After Yang does the same thing. There's a bunch of problems before, potential problems after. But here's this moment where these people are realizing they should do better. Mm-hmm. Will they do better? I don't know. At the end of Groundhog Day, will Phil be a better person when he gets back to Pittsburgh? <laughs> For a little while. Yeah. But also, he's going to be back in a big city where then you have that problem the of- The same like pressures and reinforcing right. of what led him to be who he was in the well, first place when he Exactly. Around. Like, Groundhog Day- it's problematic, but it also is useful that it does that romanticization of the rural, is that in this small town, he can get to know these people. He's going to need a much longer time loop to get to know everyone in Pittsburgh. And probably he'll just end up being exactly who he was before, or he's going to have to get out of Pittsburgh. He will mm-hmm. actually have to move to Constantine. You really do have life. to get out of Pittsburgh if you want to do... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, the same is true just here kidding. in LA. I love you, like Pittsburgh people. Either you have to get out of the place, even if it's just mentally or spiritually, or you have to change the way you deal with your day-to-day life. You have to experience it differently. And so, yeah, no, I think on the one hand, I mm-hmm. would agree with every problematic thing about this movie you have to, you would mm-hmm. have to say if we got into it in more detail. <laughs> I would make many of those arguments myself. But in watching it, and I've only watched it twice, I watch myself and then I watch it with you. Those weren't that problematic in filmmaking terms relative to the whole for me. Yeah. And I think I'm more stuck on those elements. Mm. Yeah. Because, again, it just felt like watching a ton of little pieces of things that never really came together for me. Again, we've been talking about like being disjointed. That's kind of how I felt like after watching this film. It's like, 
my brain would go here for a second, then go there for a second, then go there for a second, then go somewhere else first. And I'm like, I'm trying to wrap my head around like, it's a whole like what is happening here. But it's like, are we talking about idea versus sense? Are we talking about memories? (laughs) Are we talking about nature? Are we talking about transracial adoption? Are we talking about culture in terms of what makes someone Asian? Are we talking about like, I don't know, so many different things that and I can't, my (laughs) brain can't do that many things at one time. Like I can't do them effectively. Like it does. Something should come together to be like a whole work of art for me. And that's what didn't happen. But yeah, I I think this could work very well as a movies by minutes because there are so many different oh, yeah, elements that for like a minute, one. then you could have that right. conversation. We go on a whole week long thing about like, I have random questions, too. What was up with the scene over ramen? It was kind of weird. Why did he say it was strange, like what she was eating? I don't know. I didn't really get it. Then there were, like, random song lyrics. I want to be like the wind, the air, flowing and open spit. Okay. Why was the repair guy so angry and wanting an explanation for why he wanted Yang back? I didn't really get that either. The tea scene? Sure, it was, like, lovely, but it's kind of just, like, smashed in the middle of a bunch of other stuff. I have so many questions about this. (laughs) Actually, that right there, what you just said about the tea scene, is Uh probably why you and I experience movies differently. Mm. <laughs> because that tea scene is exactly the way I would talk about certain movies. Yeah. Where it's like he's talking about this documentary in which this other person told this story about how this specific tea put him in this moment and this place in time that all was in the flavor of the tea. What do you like about tea? Do you mean the taste of tea? Maybe. Is the taste why you like tea? something to do with it is it why you've given your life to tea given my life to tea well that sounds pretty serious is it not serious i guess i've acquired a taste for tea but it's not why i became interested interested I think what I was really drawn to at the beginning was... I think what I was really drawn to at the beginning was the idea of tea. The idea of tea. The idea of tea. Yeah, I saw this old documentary when I was in college. It was from the 20th century. And it was about this man searching for the best tea in China. It was about a man searching for the best tea in China. China's where tea started. Yes, I'm sure you have lots of interesting facts about tea in China. I do. Would you like to hear some of them? Maybe another time. I'm sorry, you were saying about the man searching for tea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, I think that's it. I think it was his searching that compelled me. You know, the pursuit of this elusive thing, this process that was connected to the soil, to the plants, to the weather, and to a way of life. To a way of life. So that's what you like about tea? The search, not so much the taste. No, no, the taste too. Mm. <laughs> this, this, uh, <laughs> this, this part in the film. It's a great part where the man is explaining to his German friend why it's so difficult for him to describe the taste of tea. He says there's no language for it. You know, there are no words to adequately express the mysterious nature of tea. And his German friend, who's just standing right beside him with a cup of tea, says, Yes, but I, I imagine things like you are walking through a forest and there are leaves on the ground and it just had rained and the rain has stopped and it's damp and you walk and somehow that is all in this tea. I mean, I loved that so much. I loved that so much. Somehow that is all in this tea. Somehow that is all in this tea. God, I watched it over and over again. God, I watched it over and over again. I would like to watch this movie. Well, maybe we can do it together. Yes. That would be nice. So do you believe it? What's that? That a cup of tea can contain a world. That you could taste a place, a time. A 
Let's put it to the test, shall we? Traditionally, tea shops, they were family businesses. Passed down from one generation no, to another. Passed down from generation to, you know this, from generation to generation. Maybe it's time I started teaching you the trade. Let's see if we can taste the world together. Drink it all at once. That is too many directions, I think, for the way you want a movie to be. (laughs) And that's fair. For most people, I think that's true. And I don't mean to lump you in with most people in that sense. (laughs) You want better movies that express specific ideas. Other people want movies that don't necessarily express ideas. And a different story. (laughs) Those are two very different angles on the same idea. So if there were a triangle, I'd be at the other point. Or like the caterpillar scene. What a caterpillar calls the end, the rest of the world calls a butterfly. Do you believe it's true that the end is also the beginning? For the caterpillar, yes, I'm not programmed to believe that. Sometimes I think humans are programmed to believe in such things. And says, I'm fine if there's nothing in the end. Maybe I was programmed this way as well. Does that make you feel sad? Well, there's no something without nothing. It's like, that in itself is just like, almost like a separate... What's the magical Asian trope? Yeah, exactly. He's giving philosophy even Mm. though he has no way to get to it. Unless he does, which would be the debate. It comes down to the AI debate. Same with when he, I love that he says to the mother, he says, was he, does he say to be honest mm-hmm. or can I be honest with you? I forget if he asks it as a yeah. question or he starts a statement that way. And she's like, wait, are you allowed? Are you able to lie? And he's like, I don't think so. Or is that <laughs> is lying an option? I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> but he said, to yeah. be honest, like he knew that was a phrase that matters, but that doesn't mean that he's capable of lying. And then when he asks what makes someone Asian... I got the impression it wasn't so much to like raise the cultural aspect of what makes someone something. He very specifically wanted to know because he needed that information in order to teach. Potentially, yeah. (laughs) It was for Mika, yeah. But also, it was a reasonable question to ask about him. Mm -hmm. Depending on where he was manufactured, he's programmed and designed to look a certain way and act a certain way. Does that mean he is that? If you listen to me every week on Minutia Ex Machina... Yes, it means he's fucking Asian, because that's how that works. (laughs) It's all programming. And then we could also just have like a whole anti-capitalist Marxist critique, talking very nonchalantly about recycling him and just giving $1,000 for the new model, because Mm -hmm. when we all become just AI computerized. (laughs) Or the thing, this came straight from the short story, is that their option on keeping part of him is you can have his voice box so that Mm -hmm. you can still hear his voice answering questions. He basically becomes Siri. Mm Mm-hmm. That's disturbing if anyone thinks of these androids as real people or family members. He's participating in, and this is for the movie, their family dance contest thing as part of the family. Mm -hmm. Also, I noticed the second time, by the way, his girlfriend Mm -hmm. is in that sequence. She's in one of the other families. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't notice. The second time, I was like, that's cool. She's in there. (laughs) She's also part of a family that participates in this nonsense thing about reality television or television or whatever. As you said, yes, there's so many things this movie's trying to And memory. Comment on. Can we quantify and preserve memory? Should we? Well, that's I think essentially we, what technology is. I think we attempting try. to do. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Every time we come up with a new way to keep track of things, we find ways to simplify it in terms of being influencers and everything else. Like, you can use YouTube to do vlogs about your life, but then what are vloggers now? They had to find some other angle to continue. Mm -hmm. Because we don't watch vloggers as much anymore. They'd be other things. 
And we should probably move on, because it's getting late. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. Yeah. That was anyway, our AI we could time loop memory <laughs> of the week. So, until tomorrow, people want to find you? You can find me on Life as a Playlist, although that show has ended, and I'm currently on TikTok, making videos regularly a few a day, at com underscore lion. Thank you for listening. The Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for more Groundhog Day, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. And you can follow all three shows in one feed. Just search an existential trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter at Groundhog Day MXM and on Instagram and Facebook at Groundhog Day Project. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. Through time. What is wrong in the end which never comes? Or which comes again and again? Lap, lap, lapping. Like waves. Since the Big Bang set everything in motion, everything that happens in this universe has to be the way it is. Man, are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Particles unfolding the way they're destined to. How do you sleep at night? You've never seen Groundhog Day? Mm. Yeah, you know, Groundhog Day is not a documentary.